Alrighty, good morning. It is another morning edition. I think the last couple I've done have been morning editions as well. Just as I uh, I get back into the normal cycle after school holidays and travel and things like that, I'm uh, making sure that my stream looks okay. I think we are all good. Just for people joining in, Burton, hi Troy, how's, how's the weather station? I saw a bird sitting on my weather station yesterday and uh, the, the, uh, like the rain collector has actually got the little spikes so the birds don't sit there but it was sitting on top of the anemometer like the little wind vane and uh, I had a moment where I was like what should I do with this bird but I don't think it really matters. The weather station's good, um, it's interesting that it's often a couple of degrees different to the weather station which, which must only be several kilometres away which is the one that would normally sort of show up my watch. So that's pretty good. What I'm looking at doing is getting all of that data and, and making a nice Home Assistant dashboard. I don't have that quite right yet. I will talk a little bit more about what I've been doing with Home Assistant today. But uh, yes, that is one of the things on my to-do list. Other things on my to-do list before I come back to some of the other questions and comments and things here in the stream. Sponsor, CrowdSec. So CrowdSec sponsored me a couple of weeks ago for the first time. CrowdSec's back again today. The open source massively multiplayer firewall. Don't you like the idea of a multiplayer firewall? I like the way they put that. Respond to attacks and share signals across the community. Download it for free. Everyone likes the price point at free. Do go through and have a look at this because it's really cool the way they represent all this data in terms of where they collect signals from and the fact that a lot of it is crowdsourced. And it's a little bit of that old uh, together we are stronger than... All of us individually, oh, you know what I mean. Like the more data we get for this sort of stuff, the better. Uh, and crowdsourcing, it seems to make a lot of sense. So do go and check out CrowdSec and download their things for free as well. All right, other things in the comments here. Can't wait to see what he's printing now. <laughs> Alan, <laughs> good day, Alan. Uh, when, I, when I made this, um, the way I'm doing all of this now, I think I spoke about a while ago, because I had so many problems getting my camera working through my browser with the Apollo DAC. I'm now pumping everything through OBS. OBS pumps it through into a YouTube stream channel over in this screen. And that like stream has uh, has descriptions and stuff already in it. It's almost like that stream always sits here. And when you want, you just start pushing to the stream and it creates a video and then you stop and then you can push to it again and stop like each week. And I still had the comments in there from last week, which included the bit about 3D printing. So I wasn't going to talk about 3D printing, but since you ask, one of the things I just printed, uh, and, and this is probably going to be the first actually useful thing I've ever printed. Prusa, maker of the printer, have a, or someone else has made a model for the Prusa printer, which is like, um, uh, it's like a little mount that goes on top of it. And then you put LED lights between it. So... Because I'm running OctoPrint and I've got a camera next to it, I really would like some light on the print so that when I'm sitting here, I can like put the camera up there or something and I can see how it's printing. But it doesn't have good light at the moment. So I've printed the effectively the mounts. You can buy a kit which has everything from the wires to the switch to the LEDs, but it takes ages to arrive. And then I think when I looked at last time, they wouldn't ship to Australia. So I'm going to take those mounts out with me today and see if I can find LEDs to fit in the middle of them. So hopefully that will be the most useful thing I've ever printed and it will do something meaningful to my printing experience. Now speaking about useful IoT things, <laughs> I did have did have my Sparky electrician over during the week and we put a bunch more IoT things in. So uh, a bunch more Shelleys, uh, both Shelly 1s and my first Shelly 2.5. So the 2.5 is the double relay. So it's one unit. It's pretty much the same size as a Shelly. It's less than double the price, but you can have two 
relays on it. So because my lights in here are awesome and Charlotte comes in and she sees my lights are awesome, she's like, I would like some of those lights as well. I was like, no problems. <laughs> Come to the right place. Uh, I will not only get you those lights, but I'll put the Shelly relays on the switches as well. So you can use the switch to digitally toggle off the lights. Now, she's got one set of lights like in the middle of her office and then one on the side. So two switches. So I went, all right, we'll put the Shelly 2.5. Did I say 2.1 before? 2.5 behind the switch. And the two switches then both go into the Shelly and then it goes out through to the lights themselves. So... Um, I got that set up and the, the only problem I'm having, and if anyone here knows the solution for it because I still haven't worked it out, is I cannot get the Shelly 2.5 to show up in the native Home Assistant integration, which is a pain in the ass because right now I can't actually get, uh, I can't actually create triggers based on events. So I need to fix that. And then the other odd thing is one of the new Shelly 1s that I got, which sits behind another switch to do another external light. I can hit that by IP address. It's, uh, it's it's all joined to the network. No problems there. It will not show up in the Shelly app at all. And the reason I want it in the Shelly app is that when it's in the Shelly app, then I can update all devices at once when there's a firmware update. So I've got to fix that one too. And then <laughs> while I'm fixing broken IoT shit, I, uh, I go down this morning and I've got a little button. So uh, now it's, uh, geez, we're only about a month out from winter here in Australia. So it's darker in the morning. I've got a little button. I give the little button a double click and it turns on like morning mode. So it turns on a bunch of lights, which are done by Shelly's. And I go down this morning and I'm like, why is only like one light turned on? Back into Home Assistant, one of the recent updates has got a really, really nice sort of flow that is really good for troubleshooting when you go and look at the history of the automation. And I'm finding that it can't reach one of the Shelly's. And because it can't reach that Shelly, it just kills the entire automation. So I think, and I'm going to ask about this on Twitter later on as well, but if anyone has comments here, please leave them. I think that what I really need to do is go back to MQTT so that I'm just pushing a message into a queue and then moving on to the next thing. Because at the moment, an unreachable Shelly is literally breaking the entire automation. And I've seen the same thing happen with some of the lights in the backyard. The other thing I want to do is uh, ideally move away from the two-year app. So I've been pairing all of the LEDs I get with, uh, with two-year because they all run the same chipset, they will all go into the same sort of pairing mode, they can all pop up in the app. It's not so much that I want the two-year app, but two-year has an integration to Home Assistant, but the problem is, is that I, and I've got to check this by just unplugging my internet, but it does seem to have a cloud dependency. And then the other problem is, is that it, it, it works in a very sort of sequential fashion, where it's like, okay, turn off the lights at the back of the house, and the more lights you get, the more things just go bop, 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 like one at a time. It's not kind of doing the whole thing together, which is really, um, really kind of bugging me. So I would like to probably flash them. And I know I didn't want to do this originally. Flash them with ESP Home. Uh, and uh, let me rephrase that. Is it ESP Home or is it Tasmoda? Anyway, flash them with another firmware that can actually take messages from a message queue. But I'm just, every time I look at that, it feels painful. Anyway. More stuff I've got to figure out. One of the things I did learn yesterday, and I'm sure this is the same in other parts of the world, but for folks in Australia as well, um, when I had the Sparky out, we found that there's an area in our dining room that's got a lot of glass around the side. It's actually 14 metres worth of glass that goes, I don't know, it's like eight metres that way, right angle, six metres that way. And we've got these blinds that sit in recesses above there, and we never, ever, ever use the blinds. And I was looking at it going, well, there's like these recesses at the top of the window. Wouldn't it be nice if there's like an LED strip all the way around? And it just had like a soft glow 
out of the recess. So we just got rid of all the blinds. They're kind of shitty anyway. <laughs> got rid of all the blinds. And now I need like 14 meters worth of LED. Now, interestingly, Philips Hue, which I've had a bunch of, I always knew Philips Hue was pricey. But just for context, yesterday, this will make more sense for the Aussies, but I went to JB Hi-Fi, a two-meter Philips Hue extension with, I think, $135. And then I was like, I think I'll just keep the receipt on this because I bought quite a few extensions. Then I went to Bunnings, and you can get an Arlec 10-meter LED strip for $90. So it's like 10 meters for $90, or two meters of Philips Hue for $135, which was kind of insane. Uh, and what I've got to do now is see if I can actually extend that Arlec one. I'm just not sure it's got enough power off that driver to do it all, but I'm going to figure that out today. Uh, and interestingly, the Arlec ones did have a much greater density of, of LEDs as well. It was about two-thirds the distance between each one compared to the Philips Hue. So I'll see how that looks. Hopefully I'm going to get that working today, and then I'll take a photo at night and it'll look pretty epic. All right, I'm going to have a look at some of the comments here. Um, audio and video is fine, so <laughs> thanks, Cam. I probably should look at that earlier. Have you got an automatic watering system for your garden? Looking at setting up one for my apartment, says Ben. Yes, I do. So I've got a system called HydroWise, which I got in about three years ago, well before I started doing the IoT thing. And that does plug into your Wi-Fi network. And the reason I got HydroWise is that it can do stuff like, say, uh, hey, it's meant to rain today. It hasn't rained yet, but it's meant to rain. Let's not water the garden. All right, kind of obvious stuff. There's an integration to Home Assistant as well, so I can see when it last watered and when it's going to next water. And then there's an app you can turn on each of your individual zones for. So HydroWise, I'm, I'm actually really impressed with. It's, uh, it's, it's been a really neat-looking thing, and the integration into HA as well is a good thing. Lars, <laughs> so meta 3D printing mounts for lights. <laughs> so I will show Lars later on. Lars is coming to visit today, which is nice. It's, uh, when did I last see Lars? Last year, I think. So that, that will be fun. Maybe we'll, um, yeah, I'll show you then. If I can hopefully get the thing working. We, we may or may not have lights working by the time you get here, mate. The rate I'm going. Duan says, interested to know if you've put the Shelleys into, into a ceiling rose. I'm in an old 1930s house in Melbourne, and I was thinking about putting them in the roof. Might be a better solution for me. So I wonder if what you're talking about, Andrew, uh, is putting them next to the light itself rather than the switch. I mean, normally they go into the switch. Fortunately, I've got quite a bit of space behind my switches. In fact, I've got so much space that the LEDs are going to run around the recess. Um, we, actually, we actually put a Philips Hue lead through a little hole in the wall, dropped it down a recess in the wall, and it's got the entire normal plug and a socket, like literally behind the switch in the wall. So if you've got the space, I think it would logically go behind the switch. Cam says, Shelley, did you configure the Colo, so co-IoT peer as described in the Home Assistant documentation for the Shelley integration? Uh, yes, that was already in there. And I also uh, changed one of the settings to the Home Assistant IP address to think to try and broadcast the, the co-IoT uh, discovery. But yeah, it has, has not worked. But then again, if I do go to MQTT, it kind of doesn't matter because I can just configure that directly on the device. Burton says, IoT is seriously hard work. It, it has its moments. It has its moments. I, th I think what will make it much more stable for me is getting away from uh, the dependency of the device always being accessible and pushing it to the message queue instead. I've also got to look at why stuff drops off the network because I've got a shitload of Wi-Fi here, so stuff should not be dropping off. Uh, 
Adventure Matt says, was the Stream Deck to Home Assistant integration challenging? No, that was actually super easy. Simply because Home Assistant exposes webhooks and it's really easy to uh, call one of those webhooks, it's just a URL from a button on the Stream Deck. So that was, uh, to be honest, one of the easiest possible things to do. Stefan, g'day Stefan, uh, are you using, do you need any repeaters or something for the Shelleys? No, because the place is bathed in Wi-Fi. What home automation protocol are they using? Well, they're, they're just communicated with over HTTP at the moment. So they're, and, and the, I've got to go back into my unified dashboard and see if I can see the devices dropping off. No, I, and I just, so, I mean, I'll explain what I see for folks that are interested. If I go into my configuration and I go into my automations and I've got one in here called, what is it? Turn on morning and I go into my history and I go to the trace timeline. So here's me, 6.03 this morning. Triggered by event, decons event. So the decons event is because the little button uh, communicates over Zigbee and it's plugged into the decons integration. Test time condition, call service scene.turn on. All right, so it's turning on a scene. Now that scene turns on switches and then stopped because an error was encountered. Uh, cannot connect to host 192.168.1250, which is the Shelly that does some of the lights in my living room. And that just completely kills it, which is which is kind of disappointing. But it's just like random stuff dropping off too. Some of the Casa uh, switches, um, power monitoring and and uh, uh, both power monitoring and switches, they uh, one of them's not working now. They had firmware issues recently where the firmware killed the integration, and then there's a whole other story about that. Google my name and Casa, and you'll you'll see what I think of those guys. Um. Now, I've got to move on a little bit. Uh, Andrew, I received HWP and I was a few weeks ago for the Oxfam breach. I did the 50K some years ago, which I suspect is why I'm receiving there. Uh, interestingly, I never received anything from Oxfam. So the Oxfam one is not only one that I was in, but someone on a hacking forum used my data to demonstrate that it was real, <laughs> which was a little bit shitty. So I'm looking at this, a few people sent me a link, looking at this forum and say, like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's my data. And it's literally there saying, you know, here's a breach and we can prove it to you, here's Troy. JT on phone says fixed IPs or, or DHCP, I think you meant for the clients. Uh, they are DHCP, but yeah, they, uh, they normally, once they connect and stay connected, they stick with the same IP, obviously. So. Again, I need to go back through the ubiquity logs and see what's happened there. Ben says, I wonder if I can set that up with my container system as there is not a hose attachment on the balcony. Okay, we're back to irrigation. I thought we were talking about Wi-Fi. Love the idea of being able to look after my bonsai when I go on holiday. Yeah, you can definitely do. You can definitely do a lot of that. All right, let me move on. I had a thread yesterday on Twitter about this US data breach. And I'm, the poll at the end of this thread, unfortunately, really hasn't helped me at all because last time I looked, it was almost dead on 50-50. But here's the, um, here's the TLDR. Now, someone sent me a very large amount of data, allegedly about 250 million records, with just over 100 million unique email addresses on it. And then someone else sent it to me and someone else and someone else and someone else. And literally, I've had this sent to me at least half a dozen times. And the headlines are all stuff like, this is every person in America. Uh, and some of them have said it's come from SolarWinds, which never passed the bullshit test. Some of them are like, oh, it's from Equifax. I'm looking at going, why? <laughs> like, what? 
It's it's not like it says Equifax or anything like that. It's like all you're doing is you're looking at that there's a large amount of data and you're thinking about who had breaches that we know of and joining that uh, joining those dots. Someone else this morning said someone else, uh, something else like, oh, um, uh, OPM, Office of Personnel Management. Someone said, oh, could it be OPM? It's like, well, there's nothing in here to suggest it's OPM. So anyway, it was large enough and enough people were sending me emails about it and actually sending me the data. I thought, I've got to try and figure out what this is. So what I tend to do in a case like this is uh, I copy all of the email addresses into the database up in Have I Been Pwned, all 100 million of them. And then I join it on the subscribers uh, table and I find the 30 most recent Have I Been Pwned subscribers. I find 30 is a sweet spot. Uh, so in a case like this was 100 million, the most recent ones are like hours ago uh, and the oldest ones are like you know, a couple of days ago. So it's in recent memory for them. And I'll send an email to them and I'll go, hey, look, you recently subscribed to my service. Uh, you want to know whether you're in a data breach. I've found you. Could you possibly give me some assistance trying to figure out what this is? And I got all of these replies, which were just inconclusive in different ways. And it's all here in the tweet thread. And I'll put that in the, well, you know, I'll make life easy on all of you. I will put it in the comments here in YouTube now in case anyone wants to actually have a look at it. And then um, <laughs> just looked over and saw Stefan say Santa's naughty list probably. Well, I'm not on there. So uh, anyway, so people were sort of saying, look, this is, this is accurate data, but it's old. Someone else said, it's not my data, but I have often had correspondence with some of this other information on there. So there's obviously something out there that ties us together. Someone else said, look, they're next to their relatives' data. And it was just kind of a weird thing where you're, like, you're left with this situation where it's just not clear where it's actually from, and I don't think we're going to get an answer for it. Uh, apparently, it was uh, it was exposed from an Apache Solar instance with IP addresses on Amazon. They will not tell anyone <laughs> where it comes from because confidentiality, fair enough. And that's about all we know. So I finished this. I'm putting a poll, and I said, should this breach going to have a been pwned where it would be flagged as unverified and from an unattributable source? Now, I'm not going to tell you the actual values of the vote because there's still 20 minutes left to vote. So you've got 20 minutes left to vote. I can tell you the answer when we get to the end of this. What I will tell you, though, is that one of the answers has 51.5% and one of the answers has 48.5%. In fact, when I was looking at it for a while yesterday, it was literally 50-50. So it doesn't really help. <laughs> so guess the point. It's like when there's a, when there's a totally split decision, unless I sort of go, well, you know, there's, there's literally like 3% more people believe this than that. Yeah. Anyway, go and vote. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if it comes back to, we'll see if it just gets worse or, or clearer. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with it. I think my, my temptation is whatever the poll says. I think I'll do with that. Looking at some of the other uh, discussions, it's not solar winds, Lars, for God's sake. And it's not, jeez, oh, all these people. Uh, no, it's not any of those things. It's, and I, I would love, I'd love to know what it is. I'll show you later, Lars. You can figure it out, mate, when you're when you're over here. Um, all right. So, other things here. What do we got? Uh, Stefan's made a point here. On a serious note, thank you. <laughs> the data seems to be a lot of bogus or wrong stuff, so my gut feeling would be to not use it. <sighs> yeah, and to, you know, to be honest, I've got enough other data to load at the moment as well, which brings me on to other data that I've been loading. So, 
There is one thing that I'm loading at the moment, and that looks like it's 61% of the way through, and that is an eight-figure number of records. It is a known data breach. It has been in the press. You'll see what it is later on. I don't like to talk about it until it goes in. That will come up a little bit later on. Um, other things, I've just tried to carve out some time in the last week to to just power through stuff. In fact, it has been a hell of a week for getting, uh, for getting stuff done, which I'll talk more about in a moment. But since since last week, so I think last week in my update, I talked about Clear Voice surveys. I did that on the 23rd. It was a week ago. Since then, there's also been uh, Shopback. So Shopback, again, one of these ones that was well known, 20 million email addresses, phone numbers, country residence, salted SHA-1 password hashes, which are as good as useless, frankly. Um, now, this was, uh, this was a recent breach too, so not good there. Mangadex for the manga folks. Three million records last month. Data included email and IP addresses, usernames, and bcrypt password hashes. All right, that's, that's a better job doing it in bcrypt. Big Basket in India. Uh, probably, probably not a great time for India to be having a major data breach because there are 20 million records in that one. I mean, look, it's never a great time, but now in particular, geez. Data included IP and physical addresses, names, phone numbers, dates of birth, and Django SHA-1 password hashes, so not good there. 52% of those were already in Have I Been Pwned. What else to do yesterday? Uh, I'm going to come back to the uh, to the Emotet stuff because I'm going to talk about that with the, the FBI data. Ooh, it's not an FBI data breach. Don't say that. The data that the FBI gave me. JE Fit, 9 million accounts. Actually, JE Fit was kind of fun. Uh, well, as fun as a data breach can be because I loaded that. And then, uh, then several minutes later, Charlotte sent me a message going, hey, I've been pwned. So she was in there. Uh, and then a, a good mate of many of us on here, Noel Merrigan, also sent me a message. Uh, and he was on there, uh, to which many people were surprised that he used a fitness app, <laughs> which is another story. But J.E. Fit, uh, email and IP addresses, usernames, passwords stored as either Argon2 or vBulletin hashes. Now, here's what's a bit interesting with this. Obviously, what was happening here is they were rolling over from these vBulletin hashes, which I think from memory are just a salted SHA-1. Uh, they're rolling over from there to Argon2, which is a much more resilient modern-day password hashing algorithm. And it looks like they made that change somewhere around the middle of last year. So when you go back through the data and you look in the password field, and it's, it's very, very clear what's an Argon2 hash versus uh, the, B, the, um, the vBulletin hash. And it looks like they sort of, let's say for argument's sake, it was 1st of July. So they went, all right, 1st of July, every new registration is Argon2. So every single password from a record created, a user record created after 1st of July is Argon2. But then you go further back up and you see all of these other records which were created before that point, even years before, where periodically you'd see some of them Argon2. So what has almost certainly happened here is that they have waited for someone to log in. They have verified the password against the old vBulletin hash going, yep, sweet, this checks out. Because they've got the password in plain text, because someone literally just sent it to them, they can then hash it with Argon2. And I've spoken about this in the in the Hack Yourself First workshop so many times where I've, I've sort of put the challenge to people. Uh, now that we understand how bad MD5, any of the SHA variants, etc., anything without any sort of key stretching or iterations, now that we know that they're terrible and you want to roll over to, say, a, a high work factor of Bcrypt, how are you going to do it? Like, how are you going to take your million subscribers and move them from, let's say, MD5 to Bcrypt? And a lot of people will give this example. They'll say, well, you just wait till they log in. And then you create the Bcrypt hash. And I'll say to them, and say, okay, well, how long does it take everyone to log in? And they're like, well, infinity, because you will never get everyone 
to come back and log in. This is why you don't want to do that, because these guys metaphorically got caught with their pants down, like halfway through this rollover or partway through the, the, the point of going from Argon, or rather from Vbuilt to Argon. And as a result of this, those 9 million records, there is a list floating around that was, I think, almost 2.9 million email address and plain text password pairs. So someone has gone through and literally just gone and cracked as many of those Vbuilt hashes as they could. Now, that's only 2.9 million out of a total of 9 million accounts, and they only rolled over, let's call it about nine months or something ago. So, yeah, maybe they've only been able to crack, let's say, a third of the V-Bullet and hashes. But it's still 2.9 million people who are now in a credential stuffing list that can be used to break into their other things. So, as I said in one of the threads here, like what these guys should have done is just take those V-Bullet and hashes and hash them with Argon too. So now you've got a hash inside a hash. There's, there's no problem with doing that. And what it does is it allows you to roll the whole subscriber base over in one go. And granted, 9 million accounts for a slow hashing algorithm, it might not be a trivial exercise, but it's a necessary exercise because of this reason. So that was JE Fit. Interesting twist there. Now, the last one that I've loaded, Brazilian EdTech company, Descomplica was breached last month, exposing almost 5 million email addresses. Data also included names, partial credit card data. So it was like the first six digits and the last four digits of the card. Uh, it had also expiry date on the card, purchase histories and password hashes. Now, I noticed in their disclosure, and I always wonder if this is going to lead to a, an unhappy email, but if I translate from Portuguese into English and we look at passwords... It says your password has not been compromised. However, it is recommended that you change your password periodically. No, it's not. It's not. Not anymore. Uh, we have identified that passwords have been, and, and then there's an update after this. We have identified that passwords have been leaked in encrypted format. No, they're not. They're hashed. We emphasize that this does not reveal your access code as it would be necessary to decrypt. Now, keep in mind as well, this is a Google translation from Portuguese to English. But I suspect it is the same as all the data breach notices written in English in the first place. They just get a whole bunch of facts wrong. It would be necessary to decrypt. That is, decrypt the key that protects your password. In any case, as we always recommend, it is important that you change it periodically. Well, only when you lose it. <laughs> I don't go through changing all my one password passwords periodically. It's like I wait until someone screws up and loses it, and then I change it, which is what these guys have done. I just... It, it, it feels a little bit like the deflection of blame. You know, it's like, well, if you just change your password, you'd be fine. So, well, if you didn't lose it in the first place, we'd also be fine. But then it says, do, do I need to worry or take any action due to the leak? Attention! Exclamation mark. If you happen to receive any email or message asking for bank details, card details, card password, blah, 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 know that Descomplica never sends communication via email, SMS, or WhatsApp asking for these, for these data. Again, translation, uh, does not store any of this information. Now, the problem is, is that there are other organizations that do send emails uh, prompting people to enter that data uh, in various places. So as much as we try to wean people off patterns that look like phishing, we've still got all these other organizations that send legitimate emails that look like phishing. Your password has not been compromised by this cyber attack. Well, but, then, but it was before, and then it wasn't just before that. <laughs> However, we take the opportunity to remember that as a good practice, it's recommended you change your password. Oh, jeez. 
they're not really, really sure, I think, is the, uh, the takeaway from this. Uh, I, I think the takeaway is change, <laughs> change your Descomplica Des password and don't use that one anywhere else uh, because you have a password manager and you do things properly. <sighs> now, Alan here says, hashing the hash is the gold standard for rolling over to a new hash algorithm. But if you're using vBullet hashes, you're probably not able to build the hash verification code yourself. Yeah, you might be dependent on the platform there, I guess, is the, the point. But if you're using vBullet, you might have a bunch of other problems anyway. <laughs> we won't get into that. All right, let's talk about Gov stuff. Um, so I got an email from the FBI, <laughs> which is, is a, and look, I mean, I've, I've had various chats with them in the past. Well, it was always funny. Or someone emails, like, we're from the FBI. So are you sure? Oh, seems all right. Seems legit. Um, one very tried and tested method for trying to establish the legitimacy of someone like that is to get on a phone call. Uh, it's very, very hard to. It's very hard to socially engineer someone via a phone call, at least in a context like this, where it's me talking to someone, uh, compared to what it is via an email, where there's just a typo, uh, a typo domain or something like that. So anyway, we we chatted and. Um, the long and short of it was this this Emotet malware, which was, depending on who you read, some of the, the worst malware that we've ever seen, that was uh, raging until earlier this year when the FBI, as long as the uh, Dutch, uh, see if I can get this off the top of my head, National High Crimes Tactical Unit? What's the right word? <laughs> NHTCU. The, the Dutch National High Crimes Unit, National High Technical Crimes Unit, Technical crimes. So the Dutch have actually been very good uh, at taking down various sorts of malicious software recently. And in fact, they've done some pretty fun stuff too. Like the, <laughs> there was a story going around oh, a few months ago where they had literally posted to one of these popular hacking forums and said, yeah, basically, we're, we're coming from before you. You might really want to think about whether you, you should be doing what you're on this forum doing. Also, German Federal Criminal Police, their BKA, uh, and other international players uh, you know, one thing that a lot of people might not realize, a lot of these agencies do work very closely together because for things like MOTET, there are no clear borders. And it's, it's, it's a very funny time at the moment where we've got, obviously, we still have geography and we have borders and we have different laws in different places. If you're in America, you've got different laws in different states. And we do here to some extent as well. It's just a bit more obvious over there. And there's more states. So we've got this, this sort of geographical balkanization but then there's the internet. And once you're on the internet, it kind of really doesn't matter where you are. It's, it's, it's sort of a free-for-all. But anyway, the, the point is, is that there is a lot to be gained from law enforcement collaboration across different parts of the world. Uh, and these folks, particularly, uh, particularly in those parts of the world and including places like Australia and the UK, do get along very well. And I, I've certainly um, seen this firsthand as well in cases where we've seen things like when the, the UK government and the Australian government came under Have I Been Pwned as the first govs. Uh, they did some knowledge exchange there because the folks work really well together. So working together, they've managed to get this, this MOTET malware down. And in the, the process of their investigations, you can imagine they do come across a lot of data and they came across a lot of email addresses email addresses that were used to authenticate to mail servers to send spam. This is one of the things that Emotet did. They also came across a lot of email addresses that were scraped out of browsers. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether they were scraped out of browser-based password managers or grabbed from the DOM as data was submitted. And to be honest, there's, there's a, a, a part of me that just didn't want to get into the detail. And in the discussion that we had about what should go into the blog post about this, we were sort of 
talking about, well, look, do we do we have this? It's almost like two separate breaches, the stuff that was used for sending spam and the stuff that was scraped out of browsers. And when we spoke about it more, my my feeling was that if you give people too much information, people start to try and self-diagnose, you know, like, well, maybe it was just this and then I don't need to do this other stuff. And ultimately what the, what the guidance we came up with was, was I'll, I'll read them off literally by bullet point here. Um, keep security software such as antivirus up to date with current definitions. So all right, that's, that's easy. I use Microsoft uh, Defender, which is built into Windows and it's free and it's absolutely fine. Change your email account password. So if you're in there, change that password. Uh, remember, change your password period. No, don't do that. But in this case, if you're in there, change that and anywhere else you've used that password. And then for administrators, there there are some Yarra rules there as well, which was released by, uh, by DFN Cert uh, in Germany, which contains some rules that will identify some of the uh, indicators of compromise that Emotet used. And then I sort of said after this, you know, in addition to all that, all the usual stuff, like use a password manager. I didn't explicitly say one password because I don't want this to be a sales pitch. It's like use a password manager. Strong, unique, turn on 2FI and all your things. Keep your operating system software patched. It's just like all the usual stuff. And I appreciate it in a way it's sort of a little bit vague, but uh, it's one of these things where I have a high degree of confidence in the authenticity of the data because the FBI gave it to me. So (laughs) they seem like good people. I'll come back to that too. Interesting point. So there's that. And it, it is potentially high impact on individuals as well. So I'm really hoping that there are a bunch of folks that found their data there and have taken action. I've certainly had some emails from a bunch of people uh, managing domains about this. In fact, I had had emails from some very large companies of names that are probably familiar to many of you saying, we can't do any of the domain verification mechanisms and have I been pwned to search our domains and get this data. And, and like, just to be clear, there's four different ways of doing domain verification, have I been pwned. You can get an email to, I think, one of about three or four different possible aliases at the domain, like security at or webmaster at, that's number one. You can uh, add a TXT record to your DNS entry. So if you think about it, can, can you control the mailbox? one can you control dns is two you can uh you can add a uh, a meta tag to the website so can you can you control html tags on the website you can upload a file to the website so can you upload content now if you can't do any of those four things and these are massive companies that have contacted me if you can't do any of these four things i don't believe you all right so and to, to clarify that I don't believe that you are responsible for the domain if you can't do any of those four things. And also, if you are responsible for the domain, I don't believe you can't do any of those four things. Now, as someone who spent a decade and a half in one of the world's largest companies, Pfizer, uh, I can see how bureaucracy would get in the way of being able to do this. And I'm sympathetic for those people because I have been in your shoes. But if it's genuinely important to you, you will find a way. So, yeah, maybe not just sort of come to me and go, hey, we can't do any of these things. What can we do? Can you please give us like an unverified set of data or or a set of data that we simply can't verify we have access to? Probably not going to do that. Almost certainly not going to. In fact, I haven't done that with any of those cases. So that was the FBI stuff. Now, the the nice people bit, one of the things I've said before, and it's slightly tangential, but it does relate to the next two blog posts as well. Uh, and I know that uh, I mentioned this a while ago and Scott was on the line and, and he, uh, he reinforced this as well. But every single person that I've spoken to in government or law enforcement throughout my travels 
in all sorts of different contexts, whether it be stuff like this or bringing a government on board and giving them access or uh, investigations in particular incidents, everyone has been just super, super nice people. And I keep reiterating this because I think that there is, I know that there is a lot of negative perceptions of both government and law enforcement, particularly within the security industry. And I think that there's, there is a healthy skepticism, I understand that. But I feel particularly after things like the Snowden incidents where we saw some pretty shitty stuff done by governments, that everyone does tend to get tarred with the same brush a bit. But I want to keep reinforcing that. And in fact, that was what me saying that on stage in a, a user group in London is what led to the beginning of these government relationships when someone from the NCSC in the UK heard it and, and was quite appreciative. But every one of these people are people that you would like to go and have a beer with or coffee or whatever your thing is uh, and spend some time with because they're genuinely interesting and one of the things that I've enjoyed <laughs> when I used to be able to travel is being able to spend time with these agencies in different countries uh, and it is fascinating and they're doing really good work usually being paid less than half what they'd get out in private enterprise but they genuinely want to make a difference to keep people like you and me as safe as possible so anyway that's just my little rant about most of these folks Everyone that I've met in my experience has been awesome. Uh, now, before I go on to the other government things, um, have you heard, <laughs> Andrew, have you heard any update on the Ubiquity breach? So disappointed with the way they handled that. Awesome products, but trust issues now. Uh, no, yes, yes. So no, I haven't heard anything more. They haven't shared anything more. Uh, yes, they are awesome products. And, and yes, it's 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 shitty the way they handled it. They should have done a much better job. And I gave that feedback very, very directly to them. Uh, and I know that many of us here, including the good mates of mine who are on the call here as well, um, both love the product and have been upset and expressed our upsetness at the way they handled it. And I, I can't say anything more than that because like, what are your options? Do you go, oh, that's crappy. We will no longer use the product. Okay, well, what are you going to use instead? Are you going to go to Merakai because Cisco's communication is so good? <laughs> Probably not. Um, and then there's, there's, in fact, I was talking to a neighbor about this yesterday because he was, uh, he was talking about some tech stocks and we were talking about a particular organization that had had a data breach, which wasn't particularly bad. But we're having this discussion about after an organization has a data breach, are they in a better position or a worse position than beforehand? So let's imagine you've got Ubiquity and Ubiquity competitor. Ubiquity's had a data breach. Competitor, as far as we know, has not. Now, we're, we are tarring Ubiquity with the you handled the shitty brush, which is totally fair. Afterwards, though, I wonder if their security posture is better. I would argue it is better. And certainly the organizations that I've seen that have had breaches, they have had to make fundamental changes uh, in order to avoid this sort of thing happening in the future. The competitor, like, were they in a better position to begin with? I don't know. It's hard to say. It's obviously very different across different organizations. But I would argue that they are not as aware as the organization that has had the breach. I'm not trying to make excuses for ubiquity here. I'm just trying to say from the position of would I continue to use them from a pure technical perspective, I think they're probably better now than they were before. From a, a brand damage and trust and reputation, I think they're worse than what they were before. But is this enough to trump that, if you know what I mean? Look at the other comments here. Um, Scott's talking about uh, controls for domains. 
same sort of thing as the verification domain search and have I been pwned? Uh, and <laughs> that's a rabbit hole there. Um, more ubiquity stuff. People at UBNT doing the comms aren't the people building the kit installed in my house. Yeah, Scott makes a very good point there. Let me reiterate that. The people at Ubiquity doing the comms aren't the people building the kit installed in my house. Just hope they improved as a result of the breach. And some people will argue that the fact that comms went out in that fashion and the organization as a whole took this position might be representative of the culture and the culture could could prevail beyond just the comms department. Possibly, maybe. Um, we don't know. We don't know. Uh, and I know that um, Lars and I in particular do speak to people within Ubiquity on a pretty regular basis. Lars has also been very public about the amount of stuff he's got at his place. If you ever want to see llamas, look at Lars's uh, feet. Lars, drop a link into Llama Cam, mate. People love that. <laughs> That's <laughs> all ubiquity driven. And it is really, really good tech. It's great tech. I've still got to find why my Shelleys are dropping off it. But other than that, it's really good tech. So I, I just hope they do better because I, I love the product and the people that we engage directly with have been absolutely fantastic as well. Their lawyers are dickheads though. If I'm if I'm if I give you my honest professional opinion, the lawyers are dickheads. I think they handled it really poorly. Now, on to happier things. So other uh, other governments. So this week I onboarded two other governments to have I been pwned as well. They become the 14th and 15th governments. One is Luxembourg. The most noteworthy thing to come out of that is me not being completely sure how to spell Luxembourg because that was the only comment that I had in the response here. Someone said it's, it's Luxembourg, not Luxembourg. And then you go to Wikipedia and it's Berg. But that's like the German one and then the French one is... B I don't know, like that, that little place between like Belgium and France, um, they are now using Have I Been Pwned, their national cert, and then just yesterday, the Romanian government as well. And the look, as I said before, all the governments have been fantastic in terms of the communication with them. And, and usually they're like super, super excited and grateful as well. They're like, hey, I just saw you announce, you know, last week it'll be one of the other ones. You know, we'd love to get involved. There's two others that I'm talking to at the moment as a result of the, the press this week too. Uh, and they're really excited about it. And w one of the things that I, I do, and, and I mentioned this after I did the, the UK in the first instance, is I don't, you know, there's no money or anything like that. There's no uh, contracts or documents or things like that. The only thing I do is I write a blog post and go, hey, does this seem reasonable? You know, just for the sake of transparency. And by taking away all the bureaucracy, stuff works so much better. <laughs> when you take away money and bureaucracy, stuff goes through so much faster. So I'm really happy that uh, that they're on there. Now, the Romanian government, uh, they did a lot of their own communication as well. In fact, they sent me a link uh, via email yesterday after I published this, and they're like, so we've made all our own announcements. So here, here's our Facebook announcement. Here is our Twitter announcement. Here is our LinkedIn announcement. Here's our, our Instagram announcement. So the Romanian government posted to their Instagram account about the Have I Been Pined relationship, which, which was really cool, and they were genuinely excited. And what's really nice is when I see the, the the general public sort of pick up on it and I'll see Romanians sort of get in there and go, hey, like, all, well, it's in Romanian, so I can't understand it all. But if you go to Google Translate, it's like all thumbs up and happiness and things like that, which is really nice to see. Uh, and 
I, I just find that all of this is more leverage. Everything from the government through to I'm looking at the subscriber number for Have I Been Pwned, we're about to hit 3.8 million. All of this is more leverage insofar as when there is a breach, there are more people that find out about it and more people that change their passwords and maybe think twice about how much they want to share. Uh, and, and that is just absolutely fantastic. It's a very fulfilling position to be in. Now, look, uh, we're sort of reaching the end here. If anyone has any other questions or comments, can be about anything you want, drop them in the thread there. Uh, I'll do a book plug. So the book is still raging ahead. If you go to book.troyhunt.com, there's a, a little sign up there to keep yourself up to date with uh, the way Rob Connor and myself are going with the book. Uh, and we are being very ably managed by Charlotte because we need our time managed, <laughs> apparently. So... That's forging ahead. I think I've got out of the 30, I can't remember if it was 36 or 38 different blog posts that are going in here with a lot of other commentary around them. I've only got about two left to do. And then I've still got some intro and uh, and wrap up stuff to do as well. And I, I need to go back through and read everything, but we are actually making really good progress on that. And, and I hope that um, I hope that next month, May, that we'll be able to start getting out the first beta of it. Still finalizing the title, finalizing the cover. Actually, uh, we have some more ideas on the cover as well. So hopefully that will be something that I can talk about soon. Uh, a what plug? Book plug. Book plug. So Burton says, have you thought about the title? I think at the moment we're... <laughs> oh, Scott, Penny just dropped. You're drinking beer, aren't you? Okay, I can tell. I can tell from here. Uh, I think from um, uh, at the moment, Burton, we're, we're still going with Pwned. Just because as, as a title, it's uh, it's I like the simplicity of it and the succinctness of it. It was Charlotte's idea as well, and she seems pretty happy with it. And I like the fact that there's a connotation back to the things I do. And the, the only hesitation I have is that I don't, I keep saying this throughout the book, I don't want to be too defined personally by have I been pwned. I, I love the project. I love what it does. I might do other things in the future. Uh, I, I don't want it all to be, you know, it's not the have I been pwned story. There's a lot of other stuff in there. But I, I suspect that that's the one that's going to stick at the moment. Adventure Matt, apparently FBI went in and removed web shells from a lot of American exchange servers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this this goes back to... Uh, the exchange issues that uh, popped up a little while ago. In fact, there was there was a word for it. I'm trying to remember. It's a term. So it, it was basically law enforcement proactively reaching out to compromised organisations and removing shells from from boxes that obviously hadn't been patched in time before they got done. I, I think there's some really really interesting legal questions around that in terms of uh, yeah. Look, I, I would assume it is something that they could legally do. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't happen. I think there's some grey area there in, in terms of should that be something that they do without informing the organisation or without any consent. But I think if we put all that aside for a moment, and, and to be honest, this is pretty much the way I have to run Have I Been Pwned, put all the really confusing grey stuff aside for a moment and just go, does this make things better? Like, does it make it better that the FBI, arguably the most well-known law enforcement agency in the world, goes in through a, a formal, I would assume, well-thought-out, well-planned process and removes compromised or removes shells from compromised boxes, does that make things better? Yes, yes. I cannot think of a way that that would make things worse by any practical measure. I'd be curious as to how they communicate that. Like, do they do they sort of tell the organization, hey, we found a web shell on your uh, unpatched exchange box, we've removed that, you know, just thought you should know, you know please update your things and pay more attention in future. I think it'd be really interesting to see what the back-channel communication there is. Burton, 
are you going with the beach scene in the book cover? We're not sure. So in fact, I'll share something here. We had this idea, Charlotte had this idea, that was a little bit Crocodile Dundee themed. Now, I'm going to put this in the chat. Uh, There is a movie poster where Mick Dundee is like spreading the buildings like this. And we sort of wondered if there's a bit of a theme there that we could use. I'm going to open uh, open image in new tab. Where's that? A bit of a theme there that relates to like data or something like that that could be could be spread. If, if that's a little bit too kitschy or not. So I just dropped that in the uh, in the chat there in YouTube. So we we're wondering about something a little bit like that. Uh, I, I don't know. We're still throwing that idea around. We are speaking with uh, with the proper artists that we know as well about uh, maybe getting his support to do something a little bit a little bit more formal. Venture Matt says, sounds like they had court approval prior. This would be the FBI. One would imagine that that, that would be something that there'd be some approval for. It was granted by a judge. They also took backups before removing. Uh, the backup is hilarious. Would you like, would you like your vulnerability back? Tony McGee says, the FBI just needs to come to the change control meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Lars wants to see me with no shirt tonight, mate. Tonight, you'll be fine. Um, anyway, so look, I think we're pretty much at time there. I'm, uh, I'm going to go out and buy some more IoT bits so that I can make my lights work before Lars gets here uh, and hopefully make my, um, make my LED lights on the 3D printer work too. So I will share that. If it all works properly, it's actually going to look really epic and I'm going to be very happy about it. So... Um, We shall see how that looks, and I'll share that when the time comes. So thank you very much for joining. Next week, I will be doing it at the other end of my day, which is going to be doing it probably about uh, nine hours later than this, and we'll get back to that sort of alternating cycle so that it works uh, across different time zones. Thanks, folks. See you later.